Welcome everyone. My name is Darren Snow and I am the senior pastor at Crossroads Community Church in Aurora, Illinois. And I am so glad that you are joining us for today's podcast of our weekly Sunday sermon. Amen. There's only one worthy of our praise. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. We're so thankful that you are here uh, and joining us today. Welcome to Crossroads Community Church. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's my great honor to lead you through our time of teaching and God's word. Uh, for those joining us online, we're so grateful uh, that you've joined us in that way on our online platform and pray the Lord's blessing to you today. And for those in the room, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And um, we're so thankful that each person is here. And I want to welcome you to week three of our series that we have entitled, We Believe in the church. This is an ongoing series from time to time uh, that we uh, bring up and focus on particular doctrines uh, here at Crossroads. So we believe in the church. What are we talking about? Um, the church macro. So the big C church, the metaphor that the church, that the Bible uses is the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. So big picture, the, the big church, okay? We're divided up into local congregations, a lot of times just based on some different practices, but we are the church that Jesus died for. If you come by the way of Jesus, you belong to the church. Now, different churches have a little bit different ways of, of practicing the faith, a little bit different structures of leadership, and leadership is the topic that we are going to discuss this morning, but I wanted to put before you our series thread in this series, We Believe in the Church, so that we can give you a bit of a definition, big picture of what the purpose of the church is. And the church is God's design to care, equip, and to reach. So let's be very clear the church is a people, not a building. So since we are a people, we are designed by God to care, to equip, and to reach people. That's the purpose of the church. But we're going to take a step back this morning and ask the question, how is this local church that we call Crossroads supposed to be led according to the Bible, of course? How are the most important decisions made? How should the church be led? Who makes those Decisions, And you're going to see today as we examine the scripture that the church is led by a group of men that we call the elders. So let's get above the local church for a second, just so we're on the same page. Jesus Christ, the resurrected son of God, is the head of the church, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. He is the head of the church, the resurrected son of God, all power and authority have been given unto Jesus. So he's our ultimate leader. But the Bible has designed our local churches to be led in a certain way, and that is by men that we call the elders. So Jesus is the head, but the elders are how God has designed the local assembly of believers to be led. In other words, our elders are God's instrument to lead us to hold us accountable, and to keep us on track toward the mission Jesus has given us. So here at Crossroads in particular, a couple of things unique to us, 
We have 12 men who serve as our board of elders who make the decisions most important, who hold us accountable to teach God's word, so forth and so on. These 12 men are comprised of two of our staff pastors, Pastor Darren, our senior pastor, Pastor Matt, our executive pastor, and 10 men who receive no money from the church. So two men on staff, the rest laymen that we would call them, men who serve God accordingly and faithfully. Now, our elders are actually on their annual retreat this weekend that they set aside every September to go away, seek the Lord, grow in their relationships with him and one another, and really seek the Lord in the direction that he would be leading us. So that we're all on the same page here. Our elders and pastors, we can use those titles interchangeably and synonymously. We work in conjunction with one another. The elders do not work for the pastors. But your pastors, even those of us who are not voting elders, we gladly submit to the leadership of our elders. And I can testify to you that I'm confident we have men who lead us well and you should be confident as well. And what we're really after here is having a structure that is according to God's design. We wanna do this the way God has designed it to be lived out because here is the matter at stake for us. Here's what really is at stake and the question that our elders have to constantly have in front of them, our elders and pastors, is are we doing this God's way? Are we leading the church? Are we providing ministry? Are we caring, reaching, and equipping God's way? Are we doing this the way God would want us to? And the only way we know that to really measure it is are we lining up with what the Bible says? If we don't do it the way the Bible instructs, we've created our own version of it. And we cannot in good conscience lead the church under God's design if we do things our way. If man's way, any individual man is elevated above God's design in his word, then the church will derail. It will be off track and it will become whatever man wants it to be. But the primary mission is to bring glory to God. And the only way to do that is to do this according to his word, his plan, and his will. And then what we will have, church, is a healthy church if we have healthy, godly men leading us. That's what we are after. And so that leads to my first point of truth this morning, and we'll get to the scripture here in just a second, is big picture, elders are called by God. Now, called is a bit of a churchy word, especially if you're new to the faith, but here's what I mean by that. Anytime God identifies a really specific position like this, overseer, elder, pastor, you typically see a particular calling placed on the lives of those people who will serve in those roles. So we don't handpick God's selected people to lead, and I'll show you a little bit later how we know that elders are called by God. So now that we've kind of got some of this framework, let's look at Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read the first three verses as we get into the qualifications of the men who should lead us. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy, a fellow pastor. The saying is trustworthy. 
If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, here's an important phrase, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. Now, there are three more verses, and I'm not going to read all of it, but there are three more characteristics that follow in verses 4, 5, and 6. And they are that the elders should manage their household well. They should not be a recent convert. So you don't want new Christians serving in the role of elder because they haven't matured in their faith yet. And then thirdly, elders should be respected in their community outside of the church. So there's a bit of a reputation at hand, if you will, there. So let me provide a little context. So first and second Timothy are two of Paul's letters in the New Testament. And then Titus is another one. Those three letters are known as the pastoral epistles. They are written to pastors. Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus and Paul was instructing him. That's why we're using this text in particular to fellow pastors. Here's how you go about this in the local assembly it was, is what Paul was instructing to Timothy. So let's look at the first one. Let's go line by line where he says must be the first characteristic is above reproach. Now that term above reproach is translated from a word that means above criticism, but it does not mean the man is exempt from criticism. I prefer the word accountability rather than criticism because you can be critical without trying to hold someone accountable to truth. Do you understand the difference there? But it does not mean that these men are exempt from criticism. Certainly, they should be held accountable. Their lives should be examined, but they should live a life that is above reproach. So in other words, they should not be consistently putting themselves in position to be criticized because their actions are towing the line, if you will, with dangerous, sinful behavior. There should be nothing around the life of a man living a life that is above reproach that resembles a sinful lifestyle. So the elder should be more consistent in their pursuit of Christ than hanging around sinful situations. Have you ever heard the phrase, if you play with fire, you might get burned? It would be applicable to this idea, but here's another way that I would convey above reproach is that an elder should not flirt with dangerous, sinful situations, should put themselves in good situations that would not compromise their character, would not compromise their testimony or their witness to Christ. And so not towing the line, not playing with fire, it does not mean that these men are perfect but they should uphold a standard that does not hang around sin so that it, they could come under criticism and, and affect the reputation of not only them and their family, but the church in which they lead. If you notice, all of the subsequent characteristics 
would all go along with this idea of being above reproach or being men of character. You can look at them there, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. And I think it's interesting that he chooses the phrase, not a drunkard. You notice he doesn't say that elders cannot drink, but he said they should not be a drunkard, which describes someone who is consistently under the influence of a substance. Could be any substance. In this particular one, he's using alcohol. Contextually was one that affected them in that context. But someone who continuously goes too far with substance. Now, why not just say they should not drink instead of a drunkard? Because someone who is a drunkard is someone who does not have self-control. Someone who does not demonstrate self-control. Why is that so important for an elder? Because when you are a pastor or an elder, you never know when the responsibility of God is going to call upon you to be a decision maker. And if you are demonstrating a life to where you're under the influence of something that you would lose control of yourself, you could not be led by the spirit, but you're being led by substance. You cannot lead in the way God intends if you're under the influence of something else. Because let me tell you, you never know when a decision is going to need to be made. You're on call. There's a crisis. You never know. So I thought it was interesting that he chose that differentiator there. If your character is compromised and you're called upon, you aren't much of a leader in that context. So again, this does not mean that our elders are perfect, but are men who should pursue Christ-like character in all situations, which leads to point of truth. Number two, elders demonstrate Christ's character. Now, before a man can become an elder here at Crossroads, they are identified by congregants and by church staff members. There is a season where we will ask, do you have any recommendations for someone to serve as an elder who would meet these qualifications? So there's a selection process, but what you should be looking for in that are men who already resemble these type of characteristics. It's not, is anyone interested in being an elder? That would get messy on us. But rather, do you know of someone who's demonstrating this type of character already? Because the other risk you would run is to go to men and say, hey, are you interested in serving in this role? Here are the characteristics. Here's the risk you could run with that method is that now a man who may aspire a position of authority and decision-making might be motivated for the wrong reasons to pursue these characteristics. When what you're really looking for to select men who can serve in this role are men who resemble these characteristics already, that you can see this in their life, they're not, that they're not motivated by a position of authority. They're motivated because of who their Lord and Savior is. That's the pure sense of this calling. This is why it's so critical for elders first and foremost in their lives before any decision-making examine their own lives in faithfulness to Jesus. And what I would encourage my brothers, our elders, to really pursue, and for all of us, let's broaden the scope for a second, is I would encourage you to be like Joseph. Joseph is an Old Testament character who had in a roller coaster of a ride in his life. He was his father's favorite son, sold into slavery, thrown into prison after he was falsely accused for sexual misconduct, all the while, he becomes the king of Egypt. 
He was on his way, all these roadblocks, but he was on his way to be the king of Egypt, a free man, to a slave, to a prisoner. But there's a consistent thread that you can see in the book of Genesis that follows Joseph everywhere he goes. And you know what that phrase is? The Lord was with Joseph. He was with him. And as I was studying that as a young minister many years ago, that I, I took a step back at that and I thought, man, the Lord was with him. That is a heck of a characteristic in a way for people to describe you, isn't it? That ought to be all of our goal, that, that people could describe us to say, the Lord is with that person. So I began to ask the question and dig into Joseph's life. Man, what is the recipe for that to be evident in your life, the Lord is with you. Because honestly, I couldn't care less about any other characteristic. What a privilege and a humbling reality would it be if people could look at your life and say, the Lord is with him, the Lord is with her. So what is the recipe? And you know what the Bible tells us? That Joseph did what was right in the eyes of God everywhere he went. That's it. So you know who God is looking to use? Those who are faithful. That's the takeaway. That's the recipe for the Lord being with you. Just be faithful. And it will be evident to people all around you that God is with you. Now, that's not the goal to try to impress people, but it's a reality that we can all pursue. So I would charge my fellow brothers in Christ and our elders, just simply be faithful because through the faithfulness of one man, Joseph, he affected a nation because he was faithful. He was faithful in the pasture. He was faithful in the palace. He was faithful in the prison and he was faithful on his eventual throne seat as the king of Egypt. He was faithful and it affected nations. Can you imagine if our elders took upon that call to just be faithful and be men that would resemble the Lord. The Lord is with them. And then a collective of 12 men who would say, who we could say, the Lord is with them because they are faithful. And then if we broaden that out to a church that we call Crossroads, that men, women, teenagers alike, preteens would live their lives faithfully to God so that people would look and say, the Lord is with that place. That's what we ought to aspire is that the Lord would be with us because that's where he does great and mighty and powerful things. There's one more qualifier in this passage and then we're gonna move to another one that I think is worth noting where he says the overseer must be above reproach. We have all of these calls to character, but there's one unique one and it says that the elder should be the husband of one wife. So here at Crossroads, we reserve the office, the position of pastor and elder to only men, okay? Now, before you get all up in your feelings, if you disagree, it's okay. It's, it's, it's okay to disagree, okay? We don't do this in a, a rude way, a heavy-handed way, but especially if you're new to the faith and you're like, are you kidding me? Only men? Let, let me hear, hear my heart, okay, because there's a very clear reason why we take this position. So the first step you take when, when establishing a theological position is you examine the text and what the Bible has to say. So as the Bible instructs us, again, Paul's instructing a pastor how to select elders in a local church. So that's what we're studying here. He says of the characteristics husband of one wife. There's no way to get around that. that. That's pretty clear. 
he instructs Titus, another fellow pastor, in the same way. So you first look at the instructive text. How are we instructed in the Bible to come to these conclusions? It has nothing to do with women being inferior to men or not capable. None of that matters, guys. We're just simply talking about biblical interpretation, okay? So we, we study those passages, and then you take a step back from the instructional passages, and what you're looking for in the New Testament is, is the practice of a, a woman serving as an elder or pastor. Is it described in practice anywhere in the New Testament? So that would be our next step, again, because we don't just make these conclusions because we want to. How has God designed this to function? What is his plan and his way? That's what we're after is his way. And you do not see, as you study the New Testament, a woman placed in the position of pastor or elder. You don't see it there explicitly. So that's how we arrive at this conclusion. It's not because we don't want women to do anything in particular, but you got to keep in mind, it's only this one place that we reserve this role. We have women ministers. We have women in leadership all over the place. We champion women in how they are called by God to serve in ways to bring glory to his name. We just believe this is God's design, and that's the only reason why. So if you want to have a biblical conversation, we welcome that. It's okay, all right? But I thought I wanted to make that point in case you're kind of picking up on your saying man a lot, like, where's the love for the ladies? We believe it's according to God's design. Okay, let's go to our next passage. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. So now Luke is writing the book of Acts, describing the local church, and, and he's writing specifically to elders, and he's saying, elders, be on guard, for yourselves. So he personalizes it. And then for all the flock. So before he gets to the elders' leadership of others, be on guard for yourselves and all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you to as overseers. That's the proof that elders are called by God. I don't want you to miss that. The Holy Spirit has appointed you to as overseers. I don't appoint elders. The Holy Spirit does that. We have a process to make sure that calling's clear, but do you see who appoints them? The Holy Spirit. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. So to my fellow brothers in Christ, our elders, look at the call to be on guard for yourself. Why does he say that? Because our elders don't go everywhere together. It's not this band of brothers that never leave one another's sight. They live separate lives. They have their own households and all of this. And so why would someone be charged who's an elder? Because these aren't perfect men. They're susceptible to sin, just like you and I are. Why be on guard for yourself? Because the enemy targets leadership. And if the enemy could pick apart our elders one by one, that's why the apostles were so serious to say, you watch your life and your doctrine closely, men. Know that you have an enemy who would want to attack you then for all the flock. So you notice it's personal character before you can lead others in their character. And so godly character actually precedes godly instruction to others. So guys, before I can ever stand up here as one of your pastors and instruct you in God's word, I'm on the hook for my personal character all the way leading up to these messages. 
and Pastor Darren and I, Pastor Juan, the same, we have to put our character on the line before we can ever ask you to do anything. And that's what he's getting at, personal character before a public call for others. But this idea of be on guard leads to our next point of truth, which is elders protect the church. Protect it. These 12 men and your pastors as well, your staff, and so many of us, we protect each other, regardless of what your title is. Protect the church. What are they and we protecting the church from? First and foremost, it's false doctrine. We have an enemy, and Jesus described the enemy as the father of lies. So whatever it is, it, the life that you're leading, whatever your why is, whatever your purpose is in life, is it a true purpose or is it one that the world has created and you're just believing it's true? You can measure that purpose up against the word of God if you want to find your true purpose. But elders protect the church from false doctrine. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9 Paul's instructing another fellow pastor where he says of the elders, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that there's the purpose. He may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You see what he's saying there to our elders? You got to hold firm to the word of God. Why? So that you can give instruction in sound doctrine. If it's not the word of God we're instructing with, how can we know we're leading people toward the one true living God if it's not from his word? The, the last thing I want is for you to try to follow me. I, I want you to follow Jesus. I just want to be a road sign for you. I want to be that flashing sign that says, hey, turn here, danger's ahead, okay? Just consider me a flashing sign from now on, okay? That's all, but I want you to follow Jesus. And I love how in the Acts passage that Luke leaves no room for confusion when he's saying the elders should shepherd the church of God, which he, which God purchased with his blood. So just so we're all on the same page, if you're wondering, well, who really owns the church? God owns the church. How do I know God owns the church? Because the Bible says the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. God purchased you and purchased my salvation. You were bought with a price, Paul wrote in Corinthians. God owns the church. What did he purchase it with? The most valuable currency that will ever be known to man in all of eternity. That currency is the blood of our Savior, the Son of God, purchased our freedom. That's why God owns the church. That's why Jesus is Lord over the church, because he purchased us from slavery and he set us free from darkness into light. So for the elders and pastors, simply steward God's most valuable asset, which is his people, which are those of us who are the church. One final passage and we'll bring it home. 
1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Again, a specific passage to elders so you can clearly see what their responsibility is. Hopefully it's taking shape for you this morning. Verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, the apostle Peter writing this, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the job description for an elder. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flocks. We pull three things from that. You see, shepherd the flock, not under compulsion, and be examples to the flock. So here's our final point of truth. Elders shepherd the church. That's ultimately what their role is. They shepherd the church. Now, this idea, it's an interesting phrase. They're not under compulsion as Peter's instruction there. Don't, don't lead under compulsion. What does that mean? With any sort of pressure just to make a decision. But I would describe the opposite of being under compulsion would be being under prayerful consideration. So if it's pastor, how do we realize we, we're not doing something under compulsion have you brought it under prayerful consideration? So whatever the decision is, has it been prayed over carefully? Has it been prayed over responsibly and thoroughly? Because no one forces decisions, but take those decisions under prayerful consideration and then be examples to the flock is how this ends be examples to the flock. So anything that we are charging the church to do, asking the church to do, our elders are not exempt from those expectations. But they are engaged in the expectations to be faithful to church, to participate in group life, to have accountability partners, to serve God in this community, to love, connect, and grow and serve, that's the measurement up against these men's lives to see are they living their life in a way that honors God. You know, this idea of a shepherd and sheep is quite a vivid metaphor. So when you have sheep out in the field, where's the shepherd? Is the shepherd in the city doing whatever he wants to do? Does he leave the sheep alone? No, this idea of a shepherd is the shepherd's with the sheep. He's amongst them. He knows them. He has relational equity there. That's the call of an elder or pastor. Everyone is called to be in community. None of us are exempt from that. You, you might have heard the phrase before. Listen to me carefully. Shepherds smell like sheep. Gotta be careful with that one. What does that convey? Well, if you're hanging around with the sheep, it's probably a little smelly. You resemble the sheep in some way. You have that outside smell. You know what I mean by that? Parents of kids know what that is. You smell like outside. Have you ever told your kids that? We know what that smells like. 
It simply means that the elders are shepherding people. They are around people. So our elders are in groups. Our elders are engaged in ministry. They're not somewhere making decisions on our behalf to lead us without having any awareness as to how God wants us to live out our, our faith. They're not exempt from it. They are engaged in it. And Peter in verse 5 ends that passage with God give grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. So at the end of the day, regardless of the title, you know what God expects for every person in his church for us to all be clothed in humility because God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Yes, church, he even opposes an elder that is proud. Any pastor becomes filled with pride, God stands in opposition of that attitude all the time. Because you know we have titles, God's not concerned with a title. You know what he's concerned about? He looks right at your heart. That's what he's concerned with. I don't care what your title is, God expects humility. Why? Because Jesus was humble. And how can a servant of Jesus not be humble like Jesus, not smell like the sheep, not be engaged in these matters. So if we bring this to an application this morning, I want you to know you can go on our website under the leadership tab about us, leadership. There is a picture of our elders. If you want to know who are these guys, some of them have come back from their annual retreat and they're sitting next to you this morning. But you can go see that. I was going to say mugshot, but you know, it's... <laughs> It's a portrait, okay? I made it through first service saying that, so I, I think it was safe to say. But you can see that there. There's an email address specifically to our elders if you need to reach out, share any concern. If Caleb's preaching something that's not true, send the elders an email. I'm sure they'll hear before that, but feel free to do that, okay? But what can we do for our elders? Here's a couple of points of application, okay? Number one, I would encourage you, myself included, let's follow our elders. Because there will be times that they come to us and say, here's where God is leading us in a particular direction. Follow our lead. And why can we trust in that? Because I can promise you they have taken it under prayerful consideration. It's not just about what one man wants. It's a collection of unity of 12 men who love Jesus and who love you. Follow the lead of our elders. Secondly, I would encourage you to pray for our elders because the enemy wants to attack leadership. Pray for your church leaders, please. I covet your prayers as well. You may say, okay, how do we pray for them? I would say pray the Lord's Prayer. Don't pray it to them, okay? <laughs> but pray it over them. What does the Lord's Prayer do for us? It gives us a template because Jesus said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. How does that apply to our elders? That our elders would, would keep in front of them that God alone and his name is holy. That their mission would be thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because that's the kind of church we want to be.
Thanks for joining us this week. I really hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like more information on Crossroads Community Church, you can check out our website at crossroadsconnect.net. And if you are ever in our area, we would love to have you visit us in person at 3003 South Eola Road in Aurora, Illinois. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to having you join us again soon.